This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, 988 provides direct connection to free, confidential, and compassionate support. When you call, text, or chat 988, you'll be quickly connected to trained crisis counselors who will listen to your concerns, provide support, and connect you to additional resources if needed. There is hope. The lifeline works. You are not alone in crisis. For 24-7 confidential support, just call, text, or chat 988. This podcast is a Believe Network and Luciete production. Welcome to another edition of the DLU Podcast, brought to you by Believe Network. I'm your host, Derek T. Lewis, and I hope the week is treating you well. The week is treating me great, except for last Sunday. I literally saw my football team. Well, I didn't see it because I was I was uh, doing something, but, you know, football sucks. <laughs> the Patriots are not really doing well this year. Um, they lost, was it 35-0 to the New Orleans Saints? Probably that was the worst loss in uh, Coach Bill Belichick's career, so... Hopefully, they'll get things back on track this Sunday as we face the Las Vegas Raiders. And I hope there's a much better outcome from last year's game against the Raiders. If you don't know, well, just go on YouTube and just search the last play of the game against the Raiders last year. And it was probably the most most bonehead plays I've ever seen in my entire life. That's neither here nor there. Um, This past weekend, I was in uh, Baltimore with the world-famous Monster Factory as we performed... A couple of matches on both days um, for their taco festival. So this is the third taco festival that the Monster Factory has done. The one in Philly I didn't do, but I, I definitely did the one last month in Delaware. And, you know, obviously I did the one <clears throat> this past weekend in Baltimore. The people loved us. Um, people Fans were wanting to take pictures with us, which was awesome. I even convinced some fans to buy some tickets. Hopefully they did. But... They really enjoyed our brand of pro wrestling and Lucha Libre and what we were able to entertain. We did two 45-minute shows both days. So, you know, kudos to all the wrestlers, you know, that that participated, that were able to put some smiles on faces while people were eating tacos, drinking tequila, and doing what people do during a taco fest. But this week, um, I have, um, actually this past uh, Tuesday, was World Mental Health Day, um, October 10th. And obviously, mental health is a huge topic these days, especially, you know, post-pandemic and, you know, people trying, you know, having to adjust in all aspects of life. 
and I brought on a, um, a mental health counselor, Amanda Carmine, and we talk about just how she got into the profession, what led her to do it, and how she's going about being a counselor and how she's had to adapt, especially during the pandemic and so much more. And let's not wait any longer. My interview with Amanda Carmine starts right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce licensed counselor, master mindset coach, Amanda Carmine. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Hi, Derek. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. But, you know, as we record this on uh, October 10th, it is uh, National Mental Health Day. And I thought, you know, it would be a really good opportunity to really discuss you know, all the aspects of mental health and things of that nature. So if you can give the people a little bit of as far as the background in regards to what you specialize in your practice. Sure, sure. Um, so I've been at this for 20 years or so. Um, and uh, what I do is I, I specialize, I have Delaware Counseling, and, and that is specifically private practice for mental health. And then I also do master mindset coaching for Performers, artists, athletes, um, helping them with that emotional wellness and overall well-being. Wow! So you're talking about athletes. So you mean? So, so let me. So just back, just backtrack a little bit. So when you talk about working with athletes, sure. is it overcoming some challenges with what they're doing in regards to? Because you see players go through it all the time, where they may be, they may be in a slump or something like that. So oh, is absolutely. it? Is it? Is it some of those, those things? Absolutely. So what I what I've experienced is I've seen either athletes that are displaced, maybe due to an injury, um, unforeseen circumstances. Um, and then they're trying to figure out how to, you know, reassimilate into what they're doing, you know, when you're an athlete, and your body's conditioned, and your mind is conditioned to practice practicing most days of the week. And that's what you're living and breathing. When you're not doing that, it just feels completely unnerving you just don't know how to handle it so sometimes i deal with that help help clients with that but also it may be um the anxiety from the performance and the pressure and i think we need to elevate that conversation on how much pressure is put on our athletes and performers um but if we're talking about specifically with athletes how much pressure is put on them mentally to perform. And not only that, once they achieve a certain level, it could be self-imposed pressure, it could be other pressures. But then it's like now they have to either one up that level or they have to maintain that level. And if they deviate, they don't want to let down the fans, they don't want to let down family or other people that are involved. So there's a lot of anxiety that's involved with that. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about, I mean, obviously, what you know, what athletes make is public, is public knowledge. So, I mean, sure. I, I can only imagine if, um, if, a, if a, let's say, if a quarterback at the quarterback market is just insane these days, um, over two hundred million dollars, and they have to live up to that contract. You know what I mean? When you have sure. the ownership, and you have the general manager, and you have coaching staff, you have all these different things. So, I totally understand that aspect of it in regards to. Okay, you set you set the bar here. Now you're gonna have to raise it higher and higher and higher. And of course, social media doesn't help in matters either. We'll get into that in just a little while. But I wanted to ask, what motivated you to become a mental health specialist? 
So I, it was early on. My parents were, were getting divorced. I was probably like seven or eight years old. And they brought me to a therapist. And I remember she was just very attentive to my individuality and, and what was going on with me. And at that point, I just knew at seven, eight years old, I'm like, this is what I want to do. I mean, she brought me in her office, she gave me a snack, she gave me some peanut butter pretzels, and just really just wanted to know how I was doing and how I was feeling with everything. And it made me feel so connected that I thought, wow, like maybe I can do this with other people one day. And it, it's funny, I, I wanted to be a DJ, I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I came back to, um, to be, being a counselor. That was um, my calling. But being a DJ is like being a doctor because I tell you right now, a DJ can cure a lot of things when you that when they're playing true. all types of music. You know what I mean? <laughs> that so is absolutely it's true. not music too far heals. off. Absolutely. Music heals. And so also, it, go, okay. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go, just, go, go. I'm sorry. Thank you. I was just going to say, music is one of the things that stimulates the brain simultaneously. So mm -hmm. th that's one reason why I I mean I grew up in the arts and I. I do think music is very healing and it, it it activates i think it's maybe six parts of the brain simultaneously so nothing is comparable to that so it really does heal indeed indeed now where now if you can um so where did you go to school in regards to get it because obviously to become you know a therapist that definitely takes a lot of the educational aspect of it first so where did you go to uh to college and, and everything as far as your education to get where you, where you are now? Sure. Um, yes, it was, it was a long journey. It was a long journey. Um, but I went to Stetson in Florida, Stetson University, mm -hmm. and it was the best program for me for my for graduate school for the, for the mental health portion. It just worked out. It was, I had some really great professors. It was a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 my son was born during that time too. So I had a lot kind of going on, but it was, it was definitely where I was meant to be. And I also went to Wilmington university for my bachelor's. Wow. That's awesome. So let's talk about the stigma of mental health because, you know, I put the hashtag out there earlier, you know, in the stigma and that's, that's been, you know, that's been going on for yes. a while. What in, in your, in, again, you've been doing this for 20 years. What break down the stigma, the good, that or the pros and the cons and things that ain't in regards to the stigma of mental health. Yeah. So I think years ago it was um, more of, you know, you wouldn't go to a doctor or you wouldn't go to get mental health unless things were really bad or relationship wise, you wouldn't go to marriage to a marriage therapist unless it was on the rocks or on the outs. Right. right. And then COVID hit. And when mm. COVID hit, it was like such a flood of people needing help. And mm. I think that that was the pivotal, pivotal moment where it changed from not of a question like, do you have mental health problems? Now it became at that time, how bad are they? Because I think in some aspects, it was positive because it brought more of the awareness to the forefront and less of the stigma. And, but also it was, it, and it did connect us to like, okay, we're all in this, we're all struggling. Right. Right. But then the downside to that was we were seeing higher rates of child suicide, mm. you know, and, and there weren't enough services or what wasn't enough, um, 
you know, resources or awareness about what to do or how to handle things or identify because we were all just thrust into this time of not knowing how to navigate and just being flooded with emotion. So now I think there's more conversation about emotional wellness and mental health. And mental health used to be a term that people would kind of shy away from or that had this really negative connotation with. Mm-hmm. And now that's just, I feel like that's everyday, you know, vernacular. It's everyday conversation that we're having, which yeah, because, some aspects right. looks good. Right. But no, because I know a lot of times, you know, and I'll bring up the, the pandemic in a second, but people would say, you know, oh, crazy people go there or that's for crazy right. people. And it's like that. And that was, I think, what the stigma was. And people were afraid to open up. People were afraid to 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 bring people to let a professional in because mm-hmm. they don't know they don't know because they don't they can't trust it and it's a, it is a trust factor you know what I mean oh absolutely absolutely it is a trust think factor that has a lot to do with it opening up to someone that you don't know right mm-hmm. um, and and being able to tell your innermost problems to or emotions with I've had people in my office that maybe I'm the first person that they're crying with Mm. the first person they're expressed, especially with men. I Mm. may be the first person that they're actually spilling their guts to and talking about their feelings with, and they could be 40 years old. And this is the first conversation they've had. Um, But not only that, I think it's important to take into consideration culturally. There's some cultural considerations that need to be, you know, taken into account. And I'm curious to know, did that change at all since the pandemic? Are people with certain populations or um, socioeconomic status, are they more um, willing to be a participant in mental health services now? Right. We know domestic violence went up. We know, like I said, child suicide rates went up and there weren't enough services. There weren't enough resources. Mm. So as a professional, how did you navigate through the pandemic? Was it an oh, influx goodness. of was it an influx of new like patients coming in? Was there was it a lot of existing ones saying, "Hey, I don't know what to do." Like what was that like for you because I mean, we all we all know on the patient side, but on the professional side, I can only imagine what that was like for you going through especially in the early days of the pandemic. Right, right. No, that's a good conversation. Um, and I don't think there was enough focus on healthcare mm-hmm. providers, especially with like mental health, in terms of compassion fatigue, what they term compassion fatigue. So it's caring for someone else, and not realizing that you're burning out. Luckily, my grad school just instilled like the self care plan. And, you know, the fact that we have such a high suicide rate, um, and this is going back years ago, 20 years ago. Um, right. And so I had a good, thankfully, I had a good self-care plan mm-hmm. already in place. Of course, things, you know, prohibited that, like being able to go to the gym. So I had to improvise, you know. Um, but also, <laughs> I think it, it was it was adapting to working from home. Mm-hmm. And I am so much better. I feel like I have so much more to offer and my clients got more out of being in person. So that was really hard too, especially for kids. It was like trying to connect 
-hmm. and trying to improvise. And maybe that's where my arts background kind of came into play. Like sometimes we were playing games online and talking or, you know, because they were sitting in kids were sitting in class all day online. So they may have not wanted to to talk. And it was it was hard, I think, as a parent, too, because I was not only working from home, as a lot of parents were, but I was also helping my kids virtually with their school online. So it was a huge juggling act. And I think that was the first time I really felt shook in the field, but it took me a while because I'm the type of person that will experience things um, weeks or months later (laughs) in the moment. I'm just going to tackle it. I'm just going to handle it. But after that, I think is where I kind of realized like, wow, this compassion fatigue is, is so, is so true. It's, it's so prevalent and it's it was such a big problem with the healthcare field then we weren't really um able to address that yeah and and i mean there it was like that was just, that was if i can sum up one word for that time will have to be adjustment everybody had to adjust in some way somehow whether it was work whether it was school whether it was their marriages whether it was everything you could possibly think of, I, you know, again, luckily for me, again, I was just here, but at the same time, there were so many other people that had to work from home. Then they had to monitor what their kids were doing, you know, making sure they were going to school online and everything. And that was going to lead me to my next question is that what are the most common mental health problems that our, our society is facing nowadays? So I would say now collectively we are, and I would say specifically America, I'm just going to focus on the US. Um, But I know it is more, you know, worldwide. But I see such a movement with AI and technology. And again, there's pros and cons to that, right? But at the same time, when we were, when we were in that pandemic mode, a lot of us were spending so much time online, so much time watching things. And as a practitioner, I had to be more relaxed with what I was recommending you know, to, to my parents before I might've said, you know, an hour, two hours tops electronics. Well, now it turned into well, what else are they going to do? Right. You know, what else are the kids going to do? What else are we going to do? Um, so I see a lot of people experiencing those post um, pandemic um, distractions still online, whether right. it be turning into monetarily they're stressed mm-hmm. um, or the fact that what it does to the brain it reduces your serotonin and your neuroplasticity. So the neuroplasticity, and it it might be the dopamine as well. The neuroplasticity is what develops um, and hinders you as you get older and people get the, it used to be called Alzheimer's, but now it's degenerative disorder. So when you're doing the same thing every day, say like maybe an elderly person, they're doing the same thing every day. It's very repetitive. There's not much stimuli. What happens is it affects the brain and the brain does not operate the way that at at optimal level. So I see a lot of people still struggling with feeling depressed, feeling Mm -hmm. anxious, worried that there'll be another pandemic, um, Mm -hmm. worried that they'll have to wear the masks again. Yeah. Um, But also I think one of the biggest problems is that we don't know how to manage such an influx of technology because our conscious has become more, ad, you know, adaptable, 
um, to the fact that we're having higher and longer exposures to technology. And while some of that is great, I think it's hindering our ability to think and cognitive um, reasoning and a lot of different things with the brain. And it's just like, we're kind of like just kind of being numb and then distracted. And it's impacting, like I said, financially, relationship wise, or just feeling like you have enough energy and we're not attributing it to screen time. Right. And I mean, I think the, 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 the technology aspect of it, it definitely affects relationships you know what I mean? Sure. Because of the fact of like, you're not communicating, you know, verbally, no. you know what I mean? Right. You know, it's like, I'll oh, just text me rather than actually speak. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, it's better back to verbally speaking to somebody. I'm very old school. You know, I call people. Yeah, you know I, what I mean, too. I'm just like, I'm not a texty <laughs> person. I text, but I know I want to actually verbally talk because yeah. I'm a human being and God gave me a mouth to use. You know right. what I mean? Right. So I totally, so I'm going to use it. You know, but at the same time, you know, I feel as though there needs to be a happy medium. And I'm glad that, like I said, that people like yourself, that, you know, professionals that can guide, help guide people in getting it to that happy medium, I think is where is kind of where you would come in. Yeah, absolutely. You can set, um, you can monitor your screen time in your settings. You can set alarms. There are certain things that you can do. Right. Um, to check in. So because before you know it, you spent an hour and a half on TikTok and what did you get out of that? Nothing. Like the biggest thing that we have right now, as far as what we are, you know, the value that you have. A lot of people think it's money, a lot of people think it's your assets, a lot of the you know, the biggest money maker right now is your time and attention. Right. And so if your time and attention is not bringing true value to your life you're going to feel like you don't have a purpose. You are going to feel disconnected. And you're absolutely right about the texting. The problem with the texting, while I do think it's good in some aspects, the problem with texting is that most of your nonverbals is what communication is. It's the body language. Right. And that's what gets missed. That's where the disconnect is. Yeah, because people can misinterpret a word, but you could be, you can have the most good, the best intent on saying a phrase, but someone might interpret it the wrong way because all they're doing that is looking at words on a screen instead of actually either hearing what the person is saying or if they're in front of you, you can actually visualize, okay, they're not coming off like I thought they would. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I think... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, it, it, it's, it's, all about commu- it's all about communication is what I was trying to sure. say. and. Sure. Although texting is a good way of communication, I think it can also, like I said, hinder relationships as well, regardless if it's family, if it's friends, you know, marriages, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is. I think that can also affect those things, too. Yeah. K and Peel does a really good they do a really good um, job of exhibiting how texting texting gone wrong. Right. (laughs) it's kind of comical um, how that happens, how one person can take one thing and you're like, Oh, okay. It means this. Well, no, it means that. And it just creates so much conflict. Right. This episode of the D podcast is brought to you by goalie nutrition. As someone who's used goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the super green gummies. The super green gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients, such as vitamins, a, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, 
healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. Now, when is it, in, in, in your opinion, when is it the right time to consider going to see a therapist? I think, I, I mean, this is just me being the therapist, right? Like, I think we all need someone to talk to, to unload with, to sort things out, to just have that sounding voice sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yes, it does involve trust. Um, but we are so, some of us are so willing to go to the doctor for a checkup or when we feel sick, but we won't take care of ourselves and in, in that's preventative, right? Preventative mm-hmm. measures right um physically and emotionally we just kind of and they are symbiotic they go hand in hand so when you're not feeling good physically chances are you're not feeling good emotionally when you're not feeling good emotionally chances are you're not feeling good physically so we need to be able to recognize that this is like a an ongoing thing that we need to nurture and have addressed but of course if it's impacting your job or your relationships or your daily functioning or you feel like you can't get out of bed, if you feel like you're too worried, if you feel like you're too distracted, that's mm-hmm. what a counselor, that's what, you know, a coach is for. Right, right. Now, what are the simplest approaches to improve mental well-being? I think one of the simplest things is to look at it from a perspective of what is realistic and achievable so like for instance with the gym a lot of times i see people set out those new year's resolutions right they're mm-hmm. like i'm gonna go to the gym every day right seven days a week i'm gonna hit the gym i'm gonna go hard it's gonna be the best thing ever we rip for summer but the problem is is that realistic with it with what they have on their plate how the mind works is it might be better to set a goal of say three or four times a week and if you can exceed that then you've gone beyond that and you feel like you've met met that. Right. When people don't make that seven, then they have a sense of failure. And then mm-hmm. chances are that's where people drop off and they don't keep up with that. And that's a lifestyle change. It's, it's a lifestyle yeah. change. Yeah. And um, that that is a lot of times too when it comes to diets, when it comes like a diet yes. is, a temp- is temporary, right? Yeah. But it's really all about changing your mindset. And getting Absolutely. in there and everything. I think that's important because what becomes habitual becomes the norm for you. Yes. Yes. They say that a routine has been made within 21 days. Right. So, but that has to be realistic. It has to be something that is achievable. Mm-hmm. and that you have a good support system or you have an accountability partner. And that's where like a coach or a therapist or counselor would come in because that's your accountability. That's a form of not, it doesn't have to be your only one, but that's a form of accountability. And when you talk about wellness, there's so many aspects of wellness. It's social, it's emotional, it's physical. It's for some people, it's spiritual. There's just so many things um, that encompass wellness, nutrition, 
exercise. Like, and it can seem overwhelming, but like, it's a 21 day fix. It's a 21 day reset. Think about that. Like once you're at it for a, a few weeks and you be, it becomes a routine, then it's not so overwhelming. Right. And you've got good chemicals going. You, you feel better. It's like not being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But then mm -hmm. once you start to feel better and once you start to change your mindset, you can rewire your brain. It's absolutely possible. Once you start to do that, you start to feel better. The chemicals flow different, the serotonin, the dopamine, the endorphins, those things start to flow. And then things don't seem so overwhelming anymore. What's your favorite part about being a therapist? What is your, what, what, what is it? What is What is your, what is your, one, one of your favorite parts about being a therapist? Oh gosh. It's hard to pick one. Um, I would say for me, you know, a lot of times it's, it's hard to pick one. So I'm, I'm probably going to have to go with three here. I'm sorry. And, and it's fine. <laughs> that's, that's perfectly fine. Okay. That's um, perfectly fine. I think it's being a part of someone's journey. You know, mm -hmm. when, when I'm done and I'm off the clock, like, it's, it's not to be insensitive, but I'm kind of just going, I'm just going off of like, okay, I did what I could and I shut right. it off. Right. And then, and it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Um, but then when I'm back in that, that mode, I'm like, wow, I'm a part of this person's journey. And that's such an honor, right. To see them grow, right. to see them overcome things, just to really just be, you know, in a part where I'm a part of that process. It's a very intimate process. Um, and then not only that, I think it's working with kids. Sometimes they really make me laugh and mm -hmm. they're just off the cuff. They just say what's on their mind. So it's, it's, yeah. it brings out my inner child, which is fun. Right. Um, and also I, for me, it's the creative aspect. So using my arts background in a way that mm -hmm. can help people and really connect with that mode of expression, because there's so much, again, that is not said um, verbally, that's nonverbals. So that's why I love doing the arts and performance coaching, because it allows me to have to see a lens and connect with through a different lens that people wouldn't otherwise be able to express. Right. Because we're so hooked on what people are saying. But if you can represent how your your what your experiences or have somebody see how you see things, Mm -hmm. and have that positive regard, mm -hmm. it's on a whole different level. And so I really love the arts aspect. Got it. What advice do you have for those that are interested in, in getting into the mental health field? I would say that it requires a really good self-care plan. Absolutely. You need support. You need to be able to execute a self-care plan on your own. Um, you need to be able to have your own therapist. The old stigma was that you didn't necessarily need a, your own therapist, that you were the expert yourself. Um, and I, I think the new way is, hey, we're, we're all our experts, but we also go to other experts to help, right? Um, so... And also I would try to figure out for somebody new coming into the field, do you want, would you like to go into private practice? Do you, do you want to work in a certain um, 
population, like, because that helps to figure out where you need to go education wise and what, who you need to kind of align with so that that way you can cultivate the type of career that you want. Got it. Got it. What's the best advice that a mentor in this industry has given you? The best advice I would say I had the two mentors come to mind. One was um, my first supervisor and she had a, a wealth. She was very seasoned, very seasoned. Mm-hmm. And she made sure that I was aware of my own roadblocks and reactions because as a counselor, as a therapist, you have to be aware of when you're feeling triggered or when something is not and, and why. So she would ask me, um, my first supervisor, Caroline Jones, mm-hmm. um, she would ask me how, what my thoughts were or why I reacted that way or what I think I should do. Okay. So it's a very like Socratic, I guess, type of approach, but she was, I mean, she was very convicted in her ways, but she was also open to what I wanted or what I needed to do. And that self-reflection, because that's what you need to do when you're in a counseling session, you need to be able to have that in place and, and think quickly on your feet. The other one I'm thinking of is, um, in my internship, um, Scott, he helped me realize, he said, if you want to go into private practice or no matter where you go, you have to figure out what your worth, what your worth is. And I thought that was a really important piece of advice and information mm-hmm. from a business perspective, because you determine your value. Now, if you want to deviate from that, then you'd be very selective about it, but don't undervalue what you bring to the table. And, and I think that was a good ask. That was a good thing to learn early on because you want to help. You want to help so many people, but if you do that, you could run your business into a ground. If you're not setting the value and your worth at a point that, that should, that should coincide with who you are and what you, your experiences and what you have to offer. I think that piece of advice can be applicable to any walk of life. You know what I mean? As far as never under, under, underestimating your own value, because Fat Joe said it best, man. Yesterday's price is not today's price. (laughs) You just have to understand where you are and say, hey, listen, you know, I want to be able to do all these things, but it's all about the quality. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Versus the, the, it's all about quality at the end of the day, as far as the quality care that you're giving. Now, if I could, if I could, Derek, if I could just kind of dovetail off of that, um, you know, I would have to say a lot of times what I go to is Zach, if we're going to music quotes, I go to Zach Brown and he said, um, you can't put a dollar sign on a peace of mind. Right. You know, you you just absolutely cannot. Right. There's so much peace. It it doesn't, when you're in your zone and you're in your Zen zone and you have your peace, you can't put a dollar sign on that. Heck no. It's so beautiful. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, what approach to therapy has been the highest success, the highest rate of success for you? 
what piece of therapy has been the highest rate of what success? What appro- what a- what oh, approach to therapy? What approach? Um, let's see. A success as far as client success and outcomes. Mm-hmm. I approach things collaboratively. I'm very straightforward, but I'm I try to be um, supportive at the same time. And when someone is having a reaction, sometimes it has nothing. A lot of times, it has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. I'm there for the journey. I'm there for the ride. And sometimes there is constructive information. That's how I grow as a counselor. And I need to be appreciative of that moment. I need to be in that moment and be appreciative of how it is. But I see the high success with people that are motivated, that have supports, that are tired of being sick and tired, Mm -hmm. that are willing to make that change and understand, like we talked about earlier, that it's a lifestyle change. You can't treat Usually you can't treat um, counseling, coaching, therapy with the mindset of it being a diet. Now, right. if you're like a employee assistance program and you're having some a few sessions, something minor happened, you just might need a few sessions. But if you're really looking for your life to improve and it, it has been extremely tough, then it has to be a lifestyle change. Right. You cannot approach it with a diet mentality. Because that's not going to work. And then it also depends on the rapport that you have. Picking a therapist that you really align with, that you have good rapport, that is going to push you, is going to have the highest rate of success. Now, how, over the years, there's been people where it didn't it didn't work out. And that's fine. That's fine. I wish them well. You know, my door was open. But um, I think that's probably the, the highest success that I've seen people believing in themselves and making that commitment to themselves and having that self-love. Self-love is definitely a, a, a factor, you know, when, when it For comes sure. to that, as we begin to wind down though, if, it, if there's, you know, someone that is looking for, you know, a therapist and that type of thing, what advice will you give them in regards to searching for, a therapist and make sure they could be the right fit? Oh, so this is tough. This is a tough question to answer. And I really want to address this because it can be hard to, first of all, know what types of therapists there are. So you may have um, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a counselor, you don't know who to go to. And this can be hard to navigate. I get calls like this all the time. And there, somebody's looking for medication. Somebody's looking for talk therapy. They're, they're, you know, and they don't know where to start. So what I usually say is try to figure out if you're looking for medication. Usually, you have to go to a psychiatrist, a nurse practitioner, someone like that who's able to prescribe medication. Right. The the step down from that is a psychologist. Now, psychiatrists can do testing as well. A psychologist can do testing. Can do um, typically can do testing and, and does talk counseling therapy, but usually does not have prescribing privileges. So those are usually your PhDs, the doctors, the psychiatrists usually have their MDs. And then, like I said, the nurse practitioners, and then a step down from that is, um, is counselors, master's level clinicians or licensed clinical social workers. Um, Those are people that 
are able to do the counseling aspect, but typically, unless they're duly licensed, are not able to prescribe. So I think that's a starting point, but also navigating your insurance can be kind of tricky too. Mm -hmm. You could always um, call the number on the back of the card, go online, um, and then ask about your, um, your coverage and who's in network. But a lot of people don't know that they have out of network benefits too. So that can be really helpful to find out. If you find a, a therapist that you really align with, or counselor that you really align with, but is out of network, well, how much does my insurance cover for that? So that's a good thing to kind of know, because that can be hard to figure out and navigate over the years. That's probably one of the biggest questions I've had. I don't know who to go to, I need medication, or I need counseling, I'm not looking for medication, where do I go? And how do I, what is my copay? This is all stuff that you can figure out with the insurance company. Wow, it's really good information, y'all. You just you know, shared with the people for sure. Because no, that's stressful. That's really is. stressful. Trying to navigate. You you want to get help. You don't know how to go about it. You don't know where to go or how to do it. So that can be a bit overwhelming. And then at that point, you're more stressed. Right. And you, the, I, get, I think the easier part is really, okay, who's the best fit? But then it's like, where do yeah. I go? Like, where do where I go? Do I so, yeah. yeah. So that is, and that's why I wanted, that was one of the reasons why I asked that question is because some people may not know. And I think right. and, and once they're put on the, I guess, put on the right path on which way to go, then it gets a little easier. But to your point in the beginning, it can be a little hard. Yeah. And you can use, sometimes you can use online um, search filters by putting in, you know, um, if you prefer male, female, somebody who takes your insurance, you like you can kind of you can use some online um, resources so that that way you can or like I said, you can contact your insurance company and find out who's in network. Wow. Well, where can people find you if it's website or social media where they can, you know, you can as far as if you're giving any type of updates or any type of guidance in regards to some of these things? Sure. Yeah. So I um, have a website, the mastermindsetcoach.com. Um, also DelawareCounseling.com. Um, I'm also on TikTok, Instagram. So you can find me on there, Master Mindset Coach or Delaware Counseling, either one. Um, so that's where I'm probably most accessible. Awesome. Well, Amanda, um, it's been a pleasure um, having you on and um, best wishes to you. And, and again, all you're doing in the, in the field because you're, you're definitely most needed. Thank you so much, Derek. I appreciate being here. All right. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the DLU Podcast. Once again, I want to thank Amanda for coming on to the show to talk about how she's contributing into bettering lives through mental health and within her profession. And I wish her all the best in what she continues to do. Once again, Espacion with me and Angie Stars on all on all music platforms. Okay, make sure you make sure you stream it. Okay, you can buy it actually on. Amazon MP3 and iTunes. It did still they still do exist. You can still stream it, obviously. Apple Music, Spotify, Deezer, iHeartRadio, Title, everywhere. The music video can be seen on Apple Music, Title, and on the Vivo app, which is connected to YouTube. So if you go to my YouTube channel, um, Derek T. Lewis or the Real DT Lou, you can check out an awesome music video directed by Sergio Pata, um, produced by um, Divine Fury 
and um, Edwin Saicedo. So huge shout out to those guys for bringing my song and Angie's song to life. We definitely appreciate you guys. Subscribe, okay, to the DLU podcast. Now, I know if this is your first time listening or if you've listened before, you find it every week and you just want to listen to a new episode, again, hit the subscribe button so you don't have to worry about that, okay? So hit subscribe, and then every time that there's new content, because granted, there are new shows that come out every Thursday, but occasionally, if there's a, if there's some breaking news, especially in the world of professional wrestling that I have to get, you know, I'm usually on it, and you will get new content. So make sure you hit the subscribe button. I don't care what platform it is, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, wherever it is, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you can get all new content every time it is available to you. Social media, as I alluded to with YouTube, again, is Derry T. Lewis or The Real DT Lou, but all of my social media, with the exception of Facebook, okay, and I'll get to Facebook in just a second, but all of my social media, any platform is The Real DT Lou. Facebook is Derry T. Lewis official page. Check out my store, okay, shop.derrytlewis.com, where you can get the Breast Cancer Awareness hoodie and t-shirt where all proceeds that I get from sales from those shirts and, and the shirt and hoodie will be donated to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. You can uh, check them out on Instagram. It's BCRF Cure. That's their handle on Instagram. You can check them out. They're a legit organization. I've donated to them before. So again, shop.darrytlewis.com. Get your hoodies and tees, especially the breast cancer awareness ones, all right? Well, I'm going to get out of here, and as I always say, no matter what it is you do in life, always remember to make it count. See you next time.